is what if weirdos so glad you made it out here got these folks saying thanks i hate it intro so fire make the dj play it we the hottest ones out watch our debate and caught a little bit of steam now they joining the team we've been in it for a minute we give it away free make noise for your own sweary boys on the case every day we don't play no toys open your ears listen in clear Clap your hands, matter of fact, crack a beer. Blowing the house down, we clearing the fog. Got the whole crowd yelling, dad dogs, ghost blog. Asking questions, what happens when we die? Not sure, but we'll see you there by the other side, so we're out. Yeah, boy. Ah! <laughs> All right, welcome to the What If Podcast. Uh, your hosts tonight are going to be, uh, God damn it, uh, Spencer, Worth Davis, and uh, Ryan Crap Rat. <laughs> it's Young Baby Crap Rat. <laughs> What's up, buddy? It's my new rap name, Young Baby Crap Rat. Put it on the list. Put it on the list. I added Ghost Shark today. Ghost Shark is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- should it be Lil Baby Crap Rat or Young mm. Baby Crap Rat? Mm. I think it's Young Baby Crap Rat. That sounds nicer. Yeah. DJ Crap Rat is pretty funny Ooh. too. <laughs> maybe Ooh. when maybe when we finally uh we finally get bored one day and you give me a full Serato lesson, I can just become DJ Crap Rat. You can be young baby crap rat, aka DJ Crap Rat, aka <laughs> Crap Rat on the ones and twos. <laughs> and you have to say your whole name every time. It's not actually an AKA, your uh-huh. whole name is all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like uh You gotta put that shit on flyers and it takes up like six lines. It's like on the boondocks where it's a pimp named Slickback. And he's like, it's like a tribe called Quest. You say the whole thing yes. every time. Yes. Uh, all right. Exactly. Young, yeah. ba- young baby crap rat, a.k.a. DJ crap rat. DJ crap rat. A.k.a. crap, crap rat, rat on, on the ones and twos. twos. I'll get it. I can remember yeah. that. It's I can remember that. We'll, no, add, we'll add more over time. What's up, man? Oh, I'm good. Spent, spent a lot of the last couple of days reading about UFO abductees. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was fun. It's doing the Lord's work out here. We had to. Uh, it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> we had to wait a while to start recording this episode for for my inconsolable dog to fall asleep. Oh boy, he uh, he had a hard time. So we made a song for you guys while we waited. Yeah, what did you think? <laughs> I thought it was nice. Six one two two four six four six one four or hi at whatifpodcast.com. You can talk all the shit you want on there. Leave us a hot one star review on iTunes. <laughs> yeah, I. <laughs> If you don't like it when we do that, you shouldn't listen to our show. <laughs> also, uh, that one that that's one that's pretty easy for us to just put thirty seconds of up on the Robot Grandma Spotify account. Yeah, uh, they don't accept songs under a minute though, which is why I slowed it down and made it stupid last time. Mm. So we gotta we gotta like splice a couple of Can them we together. Can we just let the beat right out? <laughs> yeah, yes. Or I'll just like I'll go find a few of them that are around the same tempo and just make a like a really shitty mix of like five of them. I mean. I think we got to do it. I think we got to do it. We definitely don't have to. We certainly uh, don't have to. Well, uh, we could. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Ryan, we're talking about the, o- the OG alien abduction story tonight. Um, That's tight. Betty and Barney Hill. I could get down. I'm just going to go right there right away because there's... So much to discuss. I know two things. I know three things. One, there's a lot to cover. Mm-hmm. Two, you have actually read the book and done a lot more of this investigation than I have. Three, I'm nervous. <laughs> 
the book Ryan is referencing, uh, there there are two very thorough books on uh, the Hill abduction. The one I read is Captured, written by Stanton Friedman and Kathleen Martin, who is actually Betty Hill's niece. So she has access to a lot of uh, journals, photographs, documentation of various things. Privileged information. Yeah, and uh, partnered with... Stanton Friedman, UFO researcher extraordinaire, recently deceased Stanton Friedman. Can I just say, I'm... Nuclear physicist Stanton Friedman. I'm sad that I never got to meet Stanton Friedman because every time I've seen anything where he gets interviewed, I just think about what a badass he probably was as a real person. There's a whole chapter in this book of him just talking shit about other scientists. In one of the (laughs) interviews that I watched in prep for this episode, he literally says the sentence... I have a low tolerance for stupidity, uh-huh. and I was like, "This guy gets it." <laughs> but but he applies that to like, he thinks Carl Sagan is a moron. Well, yeah, he goes pretty far with it. That's but not necessarily a statement I would agree not with. Not a moron. He he goes out of his way to roast Carl Sagan in this book. Well, classmate of his, Carl Sagan. Oh, maybe. So I, I think it's like a little competitive. You know, maybe Stanton got bullied in school and he was like I'm a better scientist <laughs> than you fuck off this dude is on TV how come I don't have cosmos I'll be on ancient aliens one day <laughs> he never oh, was no I god bless him I, he should have been though no he shouldn't he was, uh, he, he was qualified enough to be the guy that's like you're all fucking idiots which they didn't want therefore he was never on the show I know so Betty and Barney Hill were uh, a couple, a married couple from New Hampshire. And on September 19th slash 20th of 1961 were the first ever documented, reported case of alien abduction, at least in the United States. Coming up on the anniversary here. The 60? Yes. (laughs) That shouldn't have been that hard for me. No, it's Mm. okay. Took a minute. We've Um, never been good at math. The, the quick version of the story, and this part of the reason there's so much to this is that the story evolved over time as new information came out, and uh, it was like years, almost a decade before the full picture really came into the public view. Mm. So the beginning of this whole thing is on September 19th of 61... They were driving home from a vacation. They took a like a few day long weekend road trip from New Hampshire up to Niagara Falls and Montreal and back. Sounds lovely. Yeah. It's probably a beautiful time of year. Fall, maybe some leaves changing up in the northeast. They were recently married um for the first like 6 months or so that they were married did not live in the same place and had just moved in together finally. Got it. Barney worked overnights, uh, a two-hour drive each way away, so they didn't see a whole lot of each other. This was like the first time since being married that they had an extended period of time together. So they went on a road trip, and on the way back, they were driving overnight on the 19th into the 20th. Okay. Um, Rather than staying one more night in a hotel somewhere, they decided to just drive the few extra hours back. We're going in. Yeah. While they're driving, Betty saw a bright light in the sky that originally was um, 
So at this time of year in their location, Jupiter was very bright and visible just below the moon. Okay. And she saw a very bright, like comparable to the brightness of Jupiter light in between Jupiter and the moon. So she's like, that's weird. I don't think there's supposed to be anything there. Okay. Then as they're driving, she sees it moving. And she thinks at first it's a, she calls it a falling star. I'm assuming meteor or something. Right. Um, but then she watches it stop and start moving back up, which rules out star or meteor, obviously, or planet at that point. She's Any like, like normal celestial thing. Yeah. She's like, A, I knew it wasn't supposed to be there. And B, I know it's not supposed to do that. Right. And if it's an aircraft, most aircraft aren't ca- capable of stopping. Yeah, those are always the weird ones where they can change direction. Yeah. Um, As it's moving, it starts getting brighter and bigger as well. So she interprets that as it's moving towards us. Sure. Sensible. They stop and pull over to take a look at this thing. They get out of the car. Is he, do we know, is he seeing at this point or is she just going like, hey, pull over, I'm seeing something weird? So... As far as I can tell, he's he's seeing it, but doesn't think it's anything weird yet because he's mostly trying to drive. In the middle of the night. Yeah, and right. isn't seeing the erratic movement of this thing yet. Sure, because he's focused on the road, which is also sensible. Yeah, so they pull over, um, and they also have their dog with them. So they let the dog out. They stop. Going to need a dog name. Delsey, D-E-L-S-E-Y. Delsey. Yep. Uh, ah, dicks. Mm. Hold on. That's it, that's it, that's it. it. Um, So when they stop, Betty takes out a pair of binoculars that they had with and looks through the binoculars at this thing that is now much closer and much larger, and she sees a craft. Okay. With multicolored lights that are flashing, and she actually sees it move in between, like, she sees it transit the moon, so it moves across... The moon in between her and the, the moon. Uh, okay, got it. Um, had, had to vision that one real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Barney takes the binoculars and has a look, and he thinks at first that it's a commercial airplane that's going there in between two airports. He thinks it's just a, an airplane. Okay. However... He doesn't maintain this opinion for very long because as he's watching it, he sees it start moving towards him and descending, like getting lower, without turning. Like he sees the same side of it the whole time. So it's, it's if you're imagining looking up at the sky, you're seeing something move from right to left. Yes. You see it stop moving from right to left, start moving towards you and descending, but you're seeing the same side of it the whole time. So Where, it's whereas an like airplane, it's, if you were looking at the side and then it turned towards you, you would now be seeing the front nose cone of the plane. So as it, it would be as if it were, in a way, like uh, circling them with its face perpetual or whatever side of it perpetually. Either it's a circular them. craft, or this thing is able to. Gen- oh, I guess there's that. Generate lift and momentum in any direction. It equally. chooses. Yeah. Sure. Um. At this point, they get back in the car (laughs) and continue on driving. As you do. As they're driving again, um, 
they see this thing rapidly descend towards their vehicle. So she, Betty is looking out the window as they're driving and sort of tracking this object. Yep. That appears to maybe be tracking them and uh, continually getting closer to them. Right. So she sees it descend towards them and Barney, like close enough that Barney throws on the brakes in the middle of the street, in the middle of the highway. Oh, that must have gotten there pretty quick. Well, I think it was... Right? The descriptions vary, and we'll get to why later. Okay. My understanding is she's following it visually in the sky. Yep. Loses it for a while behind some trees or behind a bluff, and then it reappears when they come around sort of a blind corner, and it's right in front of them. Oh. So, so, it, so it, I think... It made a jump to hyperspeed. It beat them to a spot. Okay. I think is basically what they're describing. I see. I see. So they see this huge silent craft hovering about, they estimated, 100 feet above them. Thanks. I hate it. (laughs) Uh, And they said it was big enough to fill from a distance of, they guessed, 100 feet, fill like the entire field of view through the windshield. Christ. So this thing is huge. Isn't the silence so much more disconcerting? Yeah, I mean, at that point, you know for sure that it's something weird. Yeah. It would make more sense if it was making the sound of an airplane jet engine, and you're like, whoa. And Barney later said, like, I really wanted to hear something. Fuck yeah, I would too. (laughs) Like, I, I was waiting for it to make noise, because that would have been reassuring, basically. Yeah, I completely get that. There's nothing that we can do now, even... To make something fly without making a substantial amount of noise. Much less hovering. I mean, a blimp, but... Yeah, but a blimp cannot move in the way that this thing was moving. It and sure at the speeds fucking it was can, moving. Spencer. <laughs> and it, it sure fucking can't. And it was obviously made of metal at this point, because they're 100 feet away from it. Right. Uh, so they they get out of the car, I think partially out of fear, and partially like... If this thing's going to block the road, this car is not going to do us a whole lot of good. Yeah. So they get out of the car, I, and man. as they as they're exiting the car, well, first Barney grabs his gun out of the trunk. Fuck yeah, he does. <laughs> and he I, goes he goes to take a look. He later said he grabbed the gun because he also knew that there were a lot of bears in that area, and he didn't want to um, run up on a bear at night. Reasonable. Uh, definitely it. reasonable. Yeah. I don't know if it was. So much he was planning to shoot some aliens, but that also would be a convenient backstory for like I was so fucking scared I didn't know what to do, so I just grabbed my gun, yeah. and everyone's like, "Oh, were you gonna shoot the <laughs> thousand foot craft, Barney? Yeah, with your fucking twelve gauge? Is that what you were gonna do?" It's like, "Oh, the the bears. It was were, the, I did it for bears. the bears. Okay, yeah. So he this, as he gets out of the car, this thing moves to a nearby." sort of clearing in the they're in a very wooded area sure and he goes over to see what's going on and as he gets there he sees this craft um he estimated it was about 60 to 80 feet in diameter okay round relatively flat he described it a few times as being like a pancake okay and there's a row of windows, like uh, a double row of windows around the edge of this thing. Okay. 
I don't know how far away he is from it at this point, but he takes out his binoculars to look, get a closer look at the craft. And through the windows, he can see things, creatures, beings, people inside of it. It kind of reminds me of the Close Encounters of the Third Kind ship a little bit. Yeah. Like that didn't have windows, though, right? That was just lights around the edge, I think. I mean... It's been a while since I've seen that. It depends on how you interpret them. I, I would... There wasn't anything that you could see through to the inside, was there? Not necessarily. I, I would I would posit that you could read them as windows, but they're okay. not clearly windows in the movie. So he looks through these windows and sees people moving around inside. And as he sees them... Does he see people moving around or well, he sees beings moving around? It's an interesting element of this whole story. They almost always, both he and Betty, refer to the beings as people as men throughout Hmm. like pretty consistently and i actually watched an interview from 1999 with betty hill which i think was probably one of the last interviews that she did and she she specifically says in that interview i never called them aliens i thought of them as astronauts that's Weird. And she also said in that same interview, uh, the interviewer refers to them as aliens at one point, and she interjects and says they were some form of human. That is a very interesting level of specificity. Yeah. But then she descri- when she describes them and when Barney describes them, and we'll get to that in a while, they don't sound like they look very human. So I, I never... Huh. Quite could get a grasp on that, and the, throughout the whole, like all of their interviews, and they did hypnosis later, and throughout all of it, they refer to them as men almost always. So what what he saw, um, he describes as men inside this ship. As he sees the ship, or as he as soon as he sees them inside the ship, the craft tilts down towards him yep and starts descending towards him and he said that he suddenly got the impression that he was in danger specifically in danger of being captured oh uh which also happens to be the name of the book that i referenced earlier and i don't think i said the name of i think you did i think you did okay great but also yes um he felt that this was not just a feeling that he had because of the situation, but that this was a message being conveyed to him from whoever was in the craft. Like, we're going to capture you? Yes. <laughs> I'm coming to get you. <laughs> That's fucked up. I hate it. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> yep. So he turns and runs at this point. I mean. Yeah. Uh, he runs back to the car. and you're he- on your own, buddy. <laughs> No, he runs back to the car. Betty stayed in the car this whole time. So this was just Barney that went out. they both got out. No, Betty and the dog stayed in the car. He went out with the gun to go take a look at the craft. Yeah, yeah. So he runs back to the car, tells Betty they got to go, and they take off. Yep. They see the craft a couple more times after that as if it's following them as they're driving. And at one point, they heard what they described as rhythmic buzzing sounds okay um 
I think along the lines of like Morse code. Oh, interesting. But not the the this the tone that you're used to hearing with Morse code. It sounded like it was more of a, a vibration or a buzzing sound. And they said that it specifically was quote bouncing off the trunk of their vehicle. So it was located very specifically within their car. Huh. And that they said that when they heard the sound, the, the car also vibrated. So either the car, the sound was loud enough to like physically vibrate the car. Sure. Or it was something else that was vibrating the car and the sounds were a result of that. I don't exactly know. Go ahead. Uh, they keep driving and a while later they hear this, a second set of those buzzing sounds. And then they end up at home about two hours later than they expected to. Okay. With vague memories of encountering a roadblock and seeing a large orange orb resting on the ground. They sometimes described it as a moon or a fiery moon resting on the ground. But these were just like impressions of these things, not specific memories. Okay. What, um, you said this was 1961? Yeah. Interesting. Um, what specifically about that? I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking about a thought that I'm going to think on more before I actually <laughs> say it. Uh, but the other side of this that I find interesting and I was going to say earlier is I know we, we mentioned this occasionally when we talk about these types of things, but I am always intrigued by stories that have this level of specificity around them. Like, are you the, talking about the sounds or the, the craft? Kind or? of a lot of it, mm -hmm. but but specifically uh, Morse code-like humming, buzzing sounds coming directly from the trunk of your vehicle uh, while being pursued by a thing. Like That's a really unique and specific description of a thing that would be, in my personal opinion, kind of weird or hard to make up and be like... I've said this before, but it to me it lends credibility because of its level of like that's a fucking weird thing to just invent. Well, and it also doesn't necessarily lead anywhere. You know, if you were going yeah. to invent something, you'd probably invent something that supported a bigger a narrative overall of some narrative, kind, right? And that seems like sort of an anomaly in within the original story, right? It doesn't it, seem to support any specific. It's just sort of a stupid random detail but yet mm -hmm. a very hyper-specific and unique one. So they, they get home at, I think it was like 5 in the morning on the 20th, and go to bed. And the next day, they look at their car and notice that there are small, Betty said about silver dollar-sized circles on the trunk of their car. So, sort of like a discoloration in the paint. Okay. Equally, evenly spaced on the trunk of the car and they took a compass. I don't know why exactly they thought to do this, but took a compass to the car specifically in that area and near those circular markings, the compass would spin, mm. which I would think on a 50 something, I'm sure mostly steel car. You're probably getting a lot of weird compass readings. If you put it, on or next to a, a mostly metal car. That doesn't say much of anything to me. I mostly agree with you. Like I, 
you know, when we talked about, um, oh boy, how these episodes leave our heads after we do them. Let me help you. Uh, help, help me help you. The guy who, mm. uh, <laughs> the long heads in South America guy. Um, Are you talking about the skulls? Yeah. Brian Forrester. That guy. That guy takes people on tours of ruins in South America, some of yeah. which have interesting magnetic properties. That to me is more interesting. If you quarry stone that has magnetic readings on it, that is like, oh, designed in an interesting way. But if a car is made of metal, like, yeah, if you run a magnetic reader over it that is designed to understand magnetic fields, wouldn't that happen no matter what? I also thought... I don't know how... Someone smarter help me. I don't know what specific model of car they were driving. Sure. And what year and stuff. But in a lot of cars, um, more modern cars at least, there are speakers usually mounted through the trunk into the back of the car. Right. A speaker is literally a magnet. Right. Right. If you were to run a compass anywhere near a, a speaker, you would get weird readings. Okay, so the know. circles are a weird detail, magnetism I, not so much. I bring it up mostly to say there was some physical evidence that something weird had happened. The circles and, for sure, yeah. And that they were motivated immediately the next morning to seek out more information and more answers because they obviously were aware that something weird had happened and also had a sense that they didn't know everything that had happened. Yeah, it also invalidates my my previous statement where I said, hmm, and I'm going to think about the thought I'm going to think, which was the thought I was thinking was when did MK ultra happen? It was later. It wasn't though. Wasn't it officially sanctioned in 1953 and reduced in scope in 1964 further curtailed in 67 and then halted in 73. Oh, so they were right in the middle of it. Yeah. And like, not the same location as a lot of the other ones, but like it, it reads like it could be a shared acid trip in some way. It's so strange and far out. Sure. But there being physical evidence the morning after. Physical evidence of what? We don't know, though. True. Um, but it seems to me that if you were to go on an acid trip, you might not remember every detail of your acid trip, and you might be like something really weird happened, and you might have a shared hallucination of some kind. Yeah, I don't know when or how they would have been dosed, and it seems especially reckless to then yeah. put somebody in a car at night on back roads. But yeah, I mean, it it doesn't sound likely at all. I, I just like I'd it never, sounds like a trip. I'd never considered that connection before either, though, which is interesting. Just that the timing works out for just like UFOs this. and MK Ultra and like unknowingly dosing people in general and UFOs and what that might cause from a yeah. Uh, yeah. They had a few other bits of physical evidence or trace evidence or whatever. Uh, both of their watches stopped working around the same time that night, cool. the night of the 19th and the 20th. And it was around the time that they saw the craft. Okay. The top of Barney's shoes were badly damaged. They were scraped and like cut on the like on the toe box of his shoes. Huh. And the back of Betty's dress, the fabric around the zipper on the back was torn, like, away from the zipper where the zipper had been stitched on. Hmm. That that next morning, Betty called P. 
Peace, P-E-A-S-E, uh, Air Force Base to report their encounter. So within 16, 20 hours of this happening, she called and reported it to the nearby Air Force Base. And can you imagine, sorry, can you imagine the level of internal angst and urgency you personally would need to feel to alert a local Air Force Base this, of an experience that you had? This case is interesting to me specifically because we've talked and both with us and with Mason and with all this stuff about, I think if something like this happened to me, I would lose my mind. I wouldn't like normal life would stop. Yeah. 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 You would Mason's have, I would have was some, like, how do you ever pay taxes again or go to your job again? Yeah, if this like, is a thing that happens to you. How do you just keep going on with your life? Right. After something like this happens right. and they very much didn't in a lot of different ways, but like from the jump, the next morning they're trying to figure out what happened and they're looking for evidence or any like clues to fill in the gaps they reported it to the air force within 24 hours yep and i know in the 60s there wasn't quite the same in 61 especially not this quite the same stigma that there is now around all this shit like sure people took it a little more seriously i think sure. probably because of we were cold so, war we were closer and, to world war ii yeah. we were in the middle of the cold war and their first read of it or at least barney's first read was potentially this was something from the Air Force Base. Yep. And somebody fucked up. Yeah. And okay. he was. <sighs> Come get your fucking plane. Yeah. Or like, hey, don't fuck with civilians. Oh. Keep your shit over there where you need to keep it. Right, right, right. You're you're scaring the kids. You're scaring the kids <laughs> and you owe me some fucking shoes. Yeah. So they described the craft uh, in, in great detail to the uh, the air force um but they left out anything about seeing people or beings inside of it that's interesting or that barney feels that he may have communicated with them it seems like a slightly relevant element yeah i think at the time i think it was strategic uh in that they wanted to be taken seriously and if you say that you saw weird people, beings inside of a UFO in a field, you're less likely to be taken seriously. Yeah. I think that was the the reasoning. But the Air Force filed yeah. an official report on it and also passed it along to Project Blue Book, who reported, filed a report on it. Um, neither of them really came to any definitive conclusions about it. I mean, it doesn't seem like you could. Right. Uh, 10 days-ish after their sighting, so we're now at September 29th-ish. Right. Um, Betty starts having nightmares about that night and their encounter. I don't blame her. And in the nightmares, it's a mix of things that she recalls happening that night. So like, seeing the craft, pulling the car over, uh, Barney running back to the car, and then also other stuff that she doesn't remember happening, like seeing these creatures or beings or people or whatever being taken aboard the craft. And she starts documenting these 
nightmares, just writing them down when they happen. And she's able to piece together between her conscious memories and over the course of a week or two, these nightmares, a full sequence of events from the time that they first saw the craft to the time that they got home. Trippy, trippy, (laughs) trippy. So at this point, she's starting to think that something else happened that night. Beyond their original telling of this story. Beyond their conscious memory of the event. And they are both aware that there's time that they don't remember. Okay. And the only real lead they have so far is that Betty's having these having dreams. Nightmares. That seem to align with events that she actually knows about. No, it, it gets it gets very messy. Yeah, Ryan's making faces. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I made a I I squinted one eye real hard and I tried to <laughs> I tried to kind of turn my head to go like, can I? Yeah. Can no, I allow this? Right, right, right. So they while this was happening and she's trying to piece things together, they took a couple trips out to this area where they saw the craft and where they pulled the car over just to check it out and be like, is there anything else here that? Yeah, because we missed or. Uh, Yes, and to see if being in that location would help jog their memory because they knew they were missing something. Mm. Um, And also, they were only there at night originally, so maybe seeing it in the daytime, you could get a, a, a different perspective. Driving through somewhere for the first time at night and then on top of that having something really bizarre happen, you're probably missing a lot of information about your surroundings. Totally. So they go back a couple times to just try and get more information and see if they can refresh their memories. Sure. They came home from one of these trips. I think it was the second time they went out. They come in their apartment, and on the dining room table is a pile of leaves just in the center of the table. They lived alone, just the two of them. They had locked the apartment when they left. No one else had access to their apartment. They get home and there's a pile of leaves in the center of the dining room table. And underneath the leaves are Betty's earrings that she had been wearing on the 19th, but lost. Absolutely not. (laughs) I don't like anything about this. So now there's... In fact, thanks, I hate it. So now there's another element of, I don't know what, but like other weird... It's gross. Spooky shit happening... I don't like it. In concert with all this. I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's fucking weird. Yeah, I have... Let me see if I can pull... Again, again, that's a weird thing to make up. It's a yes. very specific, unique, weird thing to make up. About also, that incident, uh, Betty said, quote, my eyes filled with tears run- that ran down my cheeks. I didn't want Barney to see my reaction, so I picked up the earrings and went into the bedroom where I put them into my jewelry box where they still remain. I've never worn them again. And that's like a very human thing to say about a thing if that happened. Bro, Especially- I hate this so much. <laughs> Okay. I like that that's the, the piece of all of this that freaked you out the most so far. But there but there's an element of that nuance and that It's gross. It's so Why small. leaves? Yeah, right. Like this is from your planet, right? We put it was it's like when you put some grass when you're a kid and you put some grass in the jar with the lizard that you yeah, caught. Yeah, like you're like you're happy now, right? Mm-hmm. You you'll eat this because it's 
Mm-hmm. Okay. These totally weren't in space. We rubbed some dirt on them. <laughs> These are land earrings. Uh, the it, it's the same thing, man. It's a it's a specific, granular, unique detail that would be hard to make up, and also doesn't really fit into the narrative at all. It doesn't help. Yeah, it doesn't help. I mean, it just freaked us out pretty good. But in terms of like fair. Did, are you trying? Are you saying the aliens came back to drop off your earrings? Why? Right. How'd they get in your house? Why right. did they put leaves and dirt on top of them? Right. Uh, there was a question I was going to ask too, and it's something I saw a little bit about. Um, what I, I I read in a couple places that Betty and Barney Hill were like people of good standing in their community, which yeah. I know. I know is only goes so far and is hard to like quantify, but yeah, I usually avoid that route because so what? Well, like if, if we can prove any of this stuff, it shouldn't be based on the fact that he was a postal worker and she was a social worker and like they did good things for the community. I, I agree, though I do think that there are some elements of these stories where it's like, well, if you're a drunk and a huckster and are, you know, sure. down and out. You're saying the anecdotal stuff is maybe more believable? Yeah. Yeah. The To me, the anecdotal stuff, like, if, if you don't have a reputation of being a drunk huckster who's trying to shell your story for a dollar, to me, that gives a lot more credence to these very specific anecdotal details to the story because it's just like you have less of a motive and you have less of a persona or well, personality that would make up a thing like that. Along those lines, and what also is really interesting to me about this story is they never, not never, they never intentionally went public with any of this information. At this point in the story, they hadn't told anyone about any of this stuff except like a couple family members. And the Air Force. Yeah. How did... Well, you're probably getting there, but like, how did it, how did it expand beyond? Well, yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. But uh, short version, a reporter wrote a piece without their permission and without actually consulting them. Cool. That's, that's definitely not how that's supposed to go. Right. And publish it as like a five piece, a five piece piece or a five part story in, I don't remember which paper, but a fairly major paper. Got it. After they had uh, specifically requested not to and not cooperate, and he, like, got access to medical records and shit that he, like, it was very... Damn. Not not an ethical way of... Why was he so invested in it if this was such a quiet thing? I don't know exactly. I mean, it's Mm. a a fantastic story. I'm sure they sold a shitload of papers. Yeah, but I mean, I... Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, if if nobody really knew about it, how did they not only know about it, but then go so far down the rabbit hole of finding all I these details? I shouldn't say no no one knew about it. Also, that story was published in, like, 64. So it was years later. So they, they had been, like... Oh. Oh, yeah. Talking to people in, in their community and friends and family and stuff about but they never went to the press. They never consented to having any press about it. Got it. And years later, word just got around to the point that somebody could write a story without actually talking to them and have most of the information. I see. So there was enough sort of colloquial information and evidence. Especially if you weren't concerned about journalistic ethics. Yeah. Yeah. If you you throw that out the window, it's pretty fucking easy. So 
Yeah, uh, earrings on the table, don't know how they got there, in a pile of leaves. Gross. Around the same time, this was now a couple months after the incident. I think we're like December-ish of uh, 61. They also started to believe that their phone was tapped based mostly on one incident where Betty answered the phone. Like someone called them and she answered. And at the same time that the person on the other end started talking, she heard a third person say base intelligence. So she thinks, Hmm. or I guess the inference here is after they reported this to the air force slash blue book, they started watching, they started keeping tabs on them. Yeah. Which seems reasonable, especially if they did actually see something that belonged to the air force. I, I would want to know who you're telling and what and what you actually saw. And did you tell us everything that you saw? Yeah, I suppose. Like you're on the phone with your sister and they're going to ask you like, or they're going to try to see if you tell your sister something different than you told them. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's fucking that. See, and this is where these stories start to get the human elements are like grosser and scarier sometimes. Oh, absolutely. It's like that Jordan Peele quote that we talked about. We talked about when Jordan Peele did the new, um, uh, Us? no, no, no. The, the TV show Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. Thank you. He did it. He did an interview. I'm going to butcher this quote. He did an interview about doing the new Twilight Zone where someone asked him what his favorite monster of like the paranormal scary world was. Yeah. And he was like, oh, for me, it's the people. It's always been the people. That's always that's really what the twilight zone was too right because it was yeah there were no, the man there were on rarely, the wing and but even that i don't know if he was speaking about directly with i think they meant more like between all your right, right, the weird right. shit that you do but i'm saying that falls in line very closely with, with the, his the, ethos yeah the yeah. rod sterling approach as right, well right 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 but even, I, even the gremlin guy on the wing ended up being mostly about the guy who was seeing it right right but i guess like for me it's interesting because these stories like wherever they start or however they start, a lot of the human elements are the things that you can't separate it. contort it's them and push them forward and make them messy. And and Speak, now we're here. Speaking of messy, things, oh, geez. things are about to get messier. Um, both Betty and Barney were having a lot of issues with anxiety and uh, general fear around day-to-day stuff you like, know being alive yeah well or like specifically driving driving places at night anything that was sure. reminiscent of right. their encounter and they were also starting to have um or barney specifically was starting to have some physical issues as well so physical issues um i think it was like yeah he, he developed an ulcer that was like uh, like stress related, uh, what's the word for that? Psychosomatic? Is that the, um, what's the word for when? Psychosomatic works for. That's, that might not be what I'm thinking. I, I think psychosomatic works for uh, you are mentally creating pain or you are mentally creating things that aren't real. But I think oh. if it's actually like an ulcer that is created by anxiety, I don't think that technically okay. falls into the definition. Well, anyway, I could be wrong. Things but. along those lines. Yeah. 
Got we, it. We are not doctors nor intelligent people. No, no, no. But the, but you're, I guess what you're saying is like PTSD style, like anxiety, like but also insomnia. Yeah, and manifesting in some physical ways as well. Right. Totally. So they go to a doctor and uh, a psychiatrist and... Well, I guess maybe that's redundant. I was going to say psychiatrist and medical doctor uh, who specializes in um, medical hypnosis. Oh, okay. With the the goal of addressing the trauma-based amnesia. So Trauma-based amnesia. he, He thinks that something traumatic happened to them that night and that as a result of that, they have some sort of mental block around that two hours of missing time and that's manifesting in stress and anxiety and fear and ulcers and etc yeah okay i think there's a dissociative amnesia is the word that they use sure 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 so the same idea with like people with extreme who've been subjected to extreme trauma can have dissociative episodes or amnesia around certain things right that was his hypothesis that if we address that, we can clear up all this other shit and we'll get at the root of whatever is causing this. Sure. We'll get to the 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 true story. Yes. So they met with Dr. Benjamin Simon starting in December of nineteen sixty-three. So they this was like two two plus years of them trying to recall this on their own, trying to figure out what happened having all this anxiety and physical issues before they actually started regularly seeing someone. So I just, I don't mean to inter- keep interjecting about this, but I think it's one of maybe the reasons that this case has lived on for as long as it has is like, if you're making something up for whatever, whatever, whatever reason, for whatever yeah. reason, are you, two years after the incident happened going to find specialists who specifically treat like PTSD related symptoms around traumatic events. This dude's whole thing was that he treated soldiers with PTSD using hypnosis. Yeah. Also he was located in Boston. They were driving from New Hampshire to Boston for these sessions. Like that's not worth it. Well, you're saying if it's not a real thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying that's not... If- no, they they definitely didn't make this up. Whatever happened, it's not a fabrication on their part. But I feel like... I'm, I guess what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to call attention to that because I feel like that is the gut instinct of a lot of skeptics around these things is people who were fanatics or weirdos or people looking to make a quick buck concocted a co-alibi about a thing told it to their friends told it to the news had a story ran with it for their entire lives and like this series of events just feels so not like that like going back to the other part about mason's take of i could never go to work again i could never pay taxes again like these people are literally going through the motions of How the fuck do I fix being alive after this extremely fucked up night? Yeah. I think it's also worth noting that there wasn't the infrastructure in terms of the book selling and speaking tours and all that stuff that there is now specifically around this topic. Like they were literally a huckster. 
literally the first publicly known case of alien abduction. Mm. So it wasn't like there was this model in the way that there is now of like, you have an experience, you write a book about it, you go on a speaking tour, you do TV spots, you do, you right. sell the movie rights at some point. And like, they end up doing some of that stuff, but they were really forward thinking if that was their plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because how did they know they wouldn't just be written off as complete and utter like idiots or psychos or whatever? Yeah. So they start doing these uh, sessions with Dr. Simon, December of, of 63. And they didn't actually start doing hypnotic regression until February 22nd of 1964. So they had several consultations with him. I think on his part to evaluate, like, is this the right treatment? Can I actually help these people? Can I get them to a point where the, this hypnotic regression is going to be safe for them? Right. Because there's the the possibility that you actually make a problem worse through right. hypnosis by forcing people to address things that their brain is blocking for a reason. Yep. Um, and they continued doing sessions with him until June 27th of 64. So they... Five months, four months. The whole time they were, they, yeah, they spent six months being treated with Dr. Simon and four of that was like actively doing hypnotic regression sessions. Mm. His, Simon's goal was to alleviate the symptoms by establishing that the abduction experience was not real, did, did not actually happen. His oh, hypothesis was that something else happened Betty started having these nightmares, told Barney about them, and that they sort of created this joint narrative that was really just based on dreams she was having. And oh, that there was some other event that was being blocked out by both of them. Huh. That was his hypothesis going in, and ultimately, like, what he stuck with afterwards. Interesting. He was never convinced, even after the six months that they were abducted by aliens. But through these hypnotic regressions, a bunch of the other parts of the story that we all know came out. Got it. So there was a lot of information that kind of filled in the gaps in their conscious memory that has become part of the story. So it's it's a weird one where we have some actual conscious memories and we have some hypnotic regression memories, and they've become blended into one narrative, and it's usually told as a com that one combined narrative when you hear the story. Which is also where these things get extra fucking it's wild super messy. and extra fucking messy because you're you're looking at. I mean, it's one thing to have a memory of an evening that you feel is weird, but could be a bunch of other things. It's a completely different thing to be hypnotically regressed into a state where you are, I mean, not to be whatever, but at a certain point, like creating or like, I mean, I, I don't know what the verb I still, is. I still don't know. Remembering, I guess, is what they're trying to say you're doing is you're remembering something you were not previously capable of remembering. That's yeah, that's the concept. I think in practice, it's much more nuanced and gray than that. And it would depend in so much on the person doing it, the person guiding it. Right. Because you're so suggestible. And well, and, and isn't sort of the point that you're being put into a suggestible state as well? 
not the point, but I mean, isn't isn't that sort of a part of it? That you're, uh, yeah, a prerequisite for it. Um, I honestly don't know enough to really answer that. Yeah. Um. Short answer: Yes, I think. Yeah. But they, um, yeah, they 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 went through months of these sessions and they're all they recorded audio of at least 10 of them i've heard some of it i hate yeah it. <laughs> I, I don't i don't want to direct people to it and i would not encourage you to listen to them honestly mm. um there there are some on the internet they're not hard to find but <clears throat> they they are kind of disturbing yep and the hills never agreed to those being public. Oh. Yeah. Those were leaked essentially. And Oh, that sucks. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff in there that violates doctor patient confidentiality and now it's on YouTube. Oh, that sucks so bad. Maybe I shouldn't have said where it is, but whatever. You would have Googled it. I was and just you gonna say, it. you if you really wanted to find it, that wouldn't have been hard. So I oh, actually that's I, such I, a bummer. I didn't go to those because a lot of the transcripts or like the 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 relevant transcripts are included in the two books that have been written mm. that they or their family members consented to right but the videos themselves were the actual not audio up on. and then it's you know it's it's like hours and hours and hours of stuff um yeah i mean if you're doing months of i mean do we know how frequently they were going or i think there are 10 sessions that were recorded but I mean, do we know how many total sessions they did over the course of that six-month period I, of time? Well, they were doing hypnotic regression for four months. I think they were going weekly, so maybe like sixteen-ish yeah, yeah. sessions. The and there's audio and transcripts of ten of them. Got it. The audio and even isn't there video of a couple of them too? I don't know. Mm. The audio that I heard then, I, for some reason, I was thinking there was video. The audio there might that be. I, I haven't. And I know, Looked. like, it's probably not necessarily right to talk about it if we're not supposed to have it, but, like, again, there's elements of that audio that is, like, there's a human level of urgency and disturbance that is, like, very real. In yeah. It. I, yeah, I didn't listen to the audio, but even in the transcripts, like, and in... Uh their descriptions of the transcripts, whether it be, I forget the name of the author who wrote, there's a book called The Interrupted Journey, which is the first book written in the late 60s, early 70s about their story that they actually, Betty and Barney worked with Dr. Simon and the author on it. Oh, interesting. And so they gave full permission for everything that happened in that book, huh. including some of the transcripts of their sessions and stuff. Right, right, right. Um, and a lot of what's in captured by Kathleen Martin and Stan Friedman yep. builds on that and then builds on stuff that Kathleen has possession of personally as a relative of Betty, who's now deceased. Sure. Um, but in those in those transcripts, they're, you know, they're sobbing and there are pauses because this stuff is so disturbing that they don't feel like they can talk about and Barney's screaming through parts of it and yeah, like yeah. whatever happened 
was extremely disturbing and difficult and painful for the two of them at times. Right, right. Um, which is really weird to hear later interviews with Betty where she says the exact opposite. Did you watch any of that interview from 90, 99 that I dropped in our notes? No. She did an interview in 1999 where she's basically saying like how lovely it was and how like she wanted to meet the UFOs and all this stuff. Whoa. As if like all those sessions didn't happen. She got Whoa. really, really out there later in life in a, in a strange way. I mean, I can see how it, it could happen. Um, uh, are we breaking this into two parts? I think we have to at this point, right? Okay. We're already at an hour and we've got a whole lot more to cover. Is this a reasonable place to stop then and get into the uh, the hypnosis next week? Let's do that. We'll uh, we'll tell the full version of the story that includes all of the um, the details that have been meshed together through regression and memory in uh, in next week's episode. So um, hang tight, hang on to your butts, gang. It's gonna get weirder. Uh, Believe it or not, it's going to get weirder. So, uh, yeah, hang tight. We'll see you next week for part two of the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. Uh, a couple quick house cleaning things before we bounce out uh, for this week. Um, LA, get your tickets. October 30th. Go to whatifpodcast.com slash LA. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. They're like, they're only like eight bucks right now. And they'll be more expensive at the door. Uh, That's too so cheap. We should have charged more. Just get them now uh, so we can sell that thing out and we can come party together. We're going to be there with Dave Stone and Ian Abramson, and we're going to have fucking all kinds of fun shit going on at that show. So Lydia Liza's going to be in the house. Lydia Liza's going to be in the house. What, She's of course, doing Bonnet, free exorcisms. True. What, of course, Bonnet, uh DJ Name is going to be in the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we got family and friends, and uh, there's already a bunch of fans that have bought tickets. So go get your tickets to the LA show. Uh, if you want to, do us a big favor you can go to whatifpodcast.com slash survey uh we, we're doing a little survey we need your help to weigh in on that so uh just go there take that it takes like five seconds it's super easy it has nothing to do with sublime i promise it does not uh shit uh go leave an itunes review if you haven't done that we would love it if you did join the patreon it's only five bucks a month you get double the episodes and who doesn't want double the episodes god damn it we love you get away from here yeah